0: Ask Me M.D., Medical School for the Real World, with the M.D., Dr. D.J. Verrett. Greetings, and welcome to another edition of Ask Me M.D., Medical School for the Real World. I'm Dr. D.J. Verrett, and today we're joined by Heidi Kocher to talk about regulations and rules around telemedicine. We'll talk to Heidi right after this.
1: Ask Me M.D., Medical School for the Real World.
0: Today I'm talking with Chris Hansen of Alliance Bank, and Chris, with mortgage interest rates so good, what should we talk about in refinancing?
2: Yeah, DJ, thank you so much for having us. Given the historically low interest rate environment we're in today, it's certainly a great time for a homeowner, a business owner, a commercial real estate owner to revisit uh, their current interest rate structure on any transactions uh, they may have with their Bank or mortgage company. Uh, we can assist on both sides of that, residential and commercial. Uh, we approach uh, all of our lending on a relationship basis uh, so we get to know our customers. We are definitely a long term vision type of company. Uh, we've been 95 years in Texas, Texas only bank, and pleased to serve this Collin County market for my office as well as contiguous counties.
0: And if physicians are interested in contacting you, what's the best way to get in touch?
2: Office email address, C. Hansen, C-H-A-N-S-E-N, at alliancebank.com. And for more information about
0: Alliance Bank, check them out on the web at alliancebank.com. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're talking with Heidi Kocher, a partner at the law firm of Lyles Parker, about telemedicine. Heidi, thanks for joining us.
3: Happy to be here.
0: I know there's been a recent increase in telemedicine with the onset of COVID, and I think personally, I think that the the telemedicine landscape is going to change, and there will definitely, even when COVID resolves, there'll be an increase in telemedicine. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on to talk about some of the regulations around telemedicine. So my first question to you is, uh, if we have physicians thinking about telemedicine, what rules and and framework would you give them to think about all of the regulations involved?
3: You know, I'm glad you're asking such a detailed question because many physicians sort of think, oh, um, I can just sort of jump into telemedicine and, you know, I'll sign a contract with somebody, and and off we go to the races, and I can do telemedicine for all of my patients, and it's actually a little bit more complicated than that, Um, and as you said, you know, with with COVID-19, we have some flexibilities in place, but I think many of those flexibilities will go away come next year. So I do think it's very important for physicians to kind of think more generally about these rules and the framework. So one of the big things, of course, is going to be the technology. What technology are you using? And what technology is your patient using? Um, The original goal of telemedicine was really to expand into rural health areas and, and if you're relying something on you know Zoom or WebEx um, or something computer based, then the whole question of technology availability, um, you know, and and broadband availability and so on is is a key question for the physician and the patient. A second question to consider is licensure and scope of practice. Um, most state licensing laws permit telemedicine as part of the scope of practice. There are a couple of specific niches where it's a little bit more circumspect and, um, the practitioner um, actually has to register to do telemedicine. Um, and again, during COVID, those flexibilities, um, the governments, the state governments, um, sign flexibilities to to make it easier. But again, once COVID goes away, I think those flexibilities will disappear. Um, so you need to consider scope of practice and then licensure in terms of states. Um, many states have um, reciprocity; many do not. Um, and so the entire thought about the interstate compact on licensure. Medical licensure is interesting, but again, many states don't belong to the compact. So you have to consider what the licensure requirements are, not just where you are situated and licensed, but also where your patient may be. And and again, we've got a lot of flexibilities with COVID, but I think some of those will disappear once we move out of the COVID time. Um, Another thing to consider is insurance. Um, Once you are doing telemedicine, you're really in the cyberspace realm. And my experience is that many providers, most providers, have insufficient cyber liability insurance. Um, You know, this is HIPAA, of course, Um, but really much more broader than HIPAA, just the the technology aspect of cyber liability. So you should be double checking to make sure that your insurance policy covers something like telemedicine and then make sure that the limits are high enough. And um, another major consideration is, of course, HIPAA. Um, you can't control what's in the patient's background. Um, you need to, however, control what is your, in your background. And I know that many physicians um, are um, doing telemedicine from home, which is which is okay. But you need to make sure that, from a HIPAA standpoint, your space is secure. Um, that you don't have people wandering in and out. Um, that you know, people aren't interrupting you when you're doing a telemedicine visit. And if you're maintaining notes that you don't have anything sitting around on your desk and so on. So again, we have some flexibilities on some of these during the time of COVID, but I think a lot of those are going to disappear once the pandemic subsides and once we have a vaccine that's going to um, help the pandemic subside.
0: And I'd like to talk a little bit more about the flexibilities, but one point of clarification, you mentioned cyber liability and malpractice. Really, those are two different coverages though that you're talking about, correct?
3: Yes. So um, there's the cyber liability and there's sort of general medical malpractice liability. Um, I don't think that telemedicine usually adds that much more. Um In terms of liability under general malpractice liability, although I suppose there are specific um, practice areas where it might be more of an issue so um, specifically i'm thinking of something like a dermatologist so if a if a patient uses an iPhone and says, This is my rash um, you know, and you can't really tell, then you might might have some med mal liabilities there. Um, Fortunately, with dermatology, most of the time, it's not a serious issue. And so, you know, the liabilities aren't too serious. But I do think that a bigger liability is again, going to be the cyber liability. um, Because now everybody's online, everybody's remote. um, And that just really offers a lot more opportunity for bad actors, um, for hackers, and so on, um, to to, um, breach your systems and for accidental breaches to happen as well.
0: Back to what you were kind of mentioning earlier, what temporary changes have you seen in telemedicine law with COVID-19 that maybe physicians need to be aware of that will be reverting back and and the changes going away within the near future?
3: Um, So one of the big ones is again, the licensing flexibilities um, cross state practice um, I think is a big one. Um, In terms of specifics um, there are certain um, codes, CPT codes and HCPCS codes Um, that have time limits on them. There were some flexibilities um, granted in relation to those, Um, you know, that you can only do so and so many procedures during a certain time frame. There were conditions that could not be performed via telemedicine. And again, we have some flexibilities there. I would anticipate that some of those diagnoses and ICD-10 codes um, will be removed from what is acceptable to do telemedicine. Um, right now, pretty much um, anything can be handled um, telemedicine if it's if it's appropriate. I mean, obviously, you can't do surgery by telemedicine, but in terms of office visits, y- you know, much of that is now acceptable to do by telemedicine. Um, Another discretion um, is, uh, or a flexibility, is on the type of platform to be used. Um, Office for Civil Rights, which enforces HIPAA, explicitly granted some flexibility on the type of platform that you can use. Um, And they also granted some flexibilities in relation to um, HIPAA. And I completely expect all of those to go away Uh, once we sort of move beyond the pandemic.
0: You mentioned HIPAA, um, and and obviously there are some exceptions, as you mentioned right now, but what generally makes a telemedicine platform HIPAA compliant?
3: Um, So what we're talking about here is the uh, security aspect of the HIPAA rule, um, mostly, although there are some administrative aspects as well. I think, you know, the technology in particular is a particular concern that providers should be aware of. So, one of the main things you want to be thinking about is the level of encryption. Um, You want to be looking for at least 128 bit encryption. Um, And I will note here that Skype actually has 256 bit encryption, but that doesn't make it. HIPAA compliant. Um, So, But the first thing to consider is encryption. Um, Another thing that you want to think about is, again, some some security measures, such as who has access to the platform and who has access to the data that you have? Where is the data stored and where is it backed up? Um, Obviously, you preferably have data stored and backed up here in the U.S. as opposed to the Philippines or Thailand or India. Another thing that you may want to consider is um, whether or not the platform has a history of security breaches. Um, And this has actually been an issue with Skype. Skype has actually had... um, a pretty significant history of security breaches and people aren't really aware of them, but there are a lot of um, l- loopholes in the Skype coding, for for lack of a better term, that permit security breaches. Um, one of the biggest indicators that I think you will have as to whether or not a platform is HIPAA compliant is whether or not the platform provider is willing to sign a business associate agreement. Now, again, this is one of the flexibilities that OCR has has put in place. They've, They've waived temporarily the requirement to sign a business associate agreement, but personally, that is not something that I would waive. Um, because a business associate agreement really, to me, indicates that the platform provider is aware of what their responsibilities are and so on. So if you have somebody who wants to do telemedicine and offers their platform, but they're not willing to sign a business associate agreement, Even though there's a flexibility in regard to that, I would run screaming from that provider because it (laughs) indicates to me that they're not really serious about doing what they need to do to keep the platform secure.
0: Seems like it would be a a red flag there.
3: I think it's a major red flag if they're not willing to sign a business associate agreement.
0: So, a couple of the terms I've heard uh, mentioned in regard to telemedicine are synchronous versus asynchronous telemedicine. Um, can you maybe describe that a little bit more, especially if there's a regulatory difference between the two?
3: Sure. So synchronous basically means at the same time. And this is the, what I think most people think of when they talk about telemedicine. So that's where you are on audio at the same time. For example, like we're doing on this podcast, or on audio-visual at the same time. And that would be things like um, Zoom, Webex, um, some of the other platform providers, you know, but again, where you have a visual and audio at the same time, patient and physician. Asynchronous means that you are not looking at the data at the same time. So asynchronous might be something where um, a f- patient sends an email to the physician. Um, let's say, again, using the dermatology example, the patient takes a photo of a rash and attaches that to an email and emails it to the physician. And then the following day, the physician looks at that and responds and says, Yes, you have, you know, contact dermatitis, here's a prescription, you know, for some kind of steroid. Um, So that would be an example of asynchronous. Um, It's usually used, again, in context of things like email, um, readings of of radiographs and images and and laboratory work and so on. Um, That's typically where you see asynchronous. There um, are some differences in terms of regulatory stuff, mostly in relation to reimbursement. Um, Many of the CPT codes have actual differences um, in relation to synchronous versus asynchronous. So you need to make sure that you're coding the service correctly with what kind of transmission you have. Um, And again, there may be some some differences um, from a security aspect and standpoint. Um, Again, if if we're online at the same time, presumably all of that is encrypted and we want to have a very secure platform. Um, Whereas if, if you're just emailing back and forth, you may have differences um, in terms of security and encryption there. You should still be secure and encrypted, but how it, how it is achieved may be a little bit different. Um, Those are probably the biggest differences.
0: If I'm, If I'm looking at practicing telemedicine, um, obviously if I'm seeing somebody in person, they are in front of me, we are in the same physical area. Uh, I'm practicing, obviously practicing medicine in the state that I'm in, but in telemedicine, it kind of opens things up where potentially I would get a a telemedicine call from somebody who's out of state. Can I treat a patient who may be in a state where I don't have a medical license?
3: That is a fantastic question. And I think it is one of the least understood aspects um, for physicians practicing telemedicine. Um, And your listeners are going to hate me because I'm going to give the standard lawyer answer, which is it depends and maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They won't hate you, but you're right. That is the standard lawyer answer.
3: (laughs) So I think one of the things is going to be. you need to look at the state level laws. Um, again, with COVID-19, um, many states have um, implemented uh, flexibilities that do permit that kind of cross-state practice. Um, so here in Texas, for example, you know, Governor Abbott, he signed an executive order back in March specifically permitting that. And, and pretty much, I think everybody, I don't know of any state that hasn't signed a flexibility, but that's, that's a key thing. Again, once COVID goes away, that is one of the things that I do expect, that flexibility to go away. And then there will be a lot more focus in on, are you properly licensed in the state where the patient is? Um, one of the things that, again, I think I mentioned this previously, but the Interstate Compact on Medical Licensure, once COVID goes away, um, I would anticipate that there is much more of a push to permit cross-state practice and licensure. Um, but I also can see um, states being pretty jealous of their licensing and oversight rights and responsibilities. So again, once COVID goes away, I don't know that I would put my eggs in the basket of being able to cross-state uh, treat a patient um, unless I meet with the licensing requirements in that state.
0: I, I think that the take-home I'm hearing is basically check the regulations in your state for telemedicine and check the regulations in the state where the patient is for telemedicine to be sure. That's
3: said. exactly correct, Yes.
0: We talked about it a little bit in, in malpractice versus cyber insurance, but is does malpractice liability change with telemedicine? I know you gave the example of dermatology, but kind of from a regulatory perspective, um, and, I, and I think I know the answer is probably going to be check with your malpractice carrier, but are, are there any constant regulatory framework that kind of changes when you go from in-person to telemedicine in the malpractice space?
3: Um, There isn't generally, and and you're correct, I wasn't going to say so much check your malpractice, go to your malpractice insurer, but to check your policy um, and talk to your malpractice insurer. Again, I I think that um, telemedicine is a great tool. It has opened up treatment for many, many more people. But I think we are not completely aware yet of ways that it can um, impact a provider from a liability standpoint. Um, and there are always create plaintiffs, creative plaintiffs attorneys out there um, that constantly come up with with new theories um, for which to try to um, impose liability. So um, definitely check your insurance, make sure A, that it, it covers telemedicine, um, and if it's not clear, um, figure out how you can get that explicit in your coverage. Um, and again, you know we need to make sure that cyber liability insurance um, is covered you know, which which may or may not be included in your standard policy. You may have to have a rider. And again, make sure that the coverage limits are sufficient to cover telemedicine.
0: And as a physician, I'd I, I just throw this out there. I, I'd say as well, don't ever compromise your treatment of the patient because it's on telemedicine. If the patient needs to be seen in person, then see the patient in person, right?
3: Yeah. And that's actually, you brought up another good point. So one of the things that I always recommend is, is don't just jump into telemedicine. Don't just sign a contract and say, woohoo now we're open for telemedicine business. I think physicians really do need to think through, you know, what can be handled via telemedicine and what needs to be seen in person, you know, and, and also if you're on a telemedicine call at, at what point do you escalate from either um, telemedicine to to either in-person or perhaps even emergency services? You know, if somebody says they have chest pain, you know, at what point do you go from saying, okay, well, sounds like it might be, you know, GERD, to saying, you're having a heart attack. You know, you need to call 911 and get an ambulance in, or the physician's staff needs to call 911 and get an ambulance there. So they need to think through the, the escalation procedures and protocols as well.
0: I, I think that's great advice. Ultimately, the standard of care is the standard of care, and it's not going to matter whether you're talking to somebody on, on Skype or uh, Zoom or they're in person sitting in front of you in the office.
3: That's exactly right.
0: We've been talking with Heidi Kocher about telemedicine. Heidi, thanks so much for joining us. Some great, uh, some great information once again to take home.
3: You're welcome. I hope your your uh, listeners found it useful.
0: You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. Until next time, make it an awesome week.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of. Ask Ask me md medical school for the real world with dr dj barrett if you have a question or an idea for a show send us an email at questions at ask me the contents of the podcast do not constitute any type of professional advice do not reflect the opinions of this company and do not create any type of professional relationship between the audience and presenters no person listening to any episode of Ask Me MD should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content of a podcast without first seeking appropriate professional advice, nor should the information be used as a substitute for professional advice. W.J. Sanyé expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on any or all contents of its podcasts.